0: Six years be... old,
1: you should be able to read a children's book. Hey, man, I've met a lot of adults at the library that can't read. <laughs> to, just saying. I went to YouTube to even look this up to confirm, and it was exactly what I thought it was. So the Babadook makes this weird sound when it like comes up towards its like a wah sound. Fucking dinosaur. <laughs> it's the exact same sound. sound is, is used for the, uh, the Zord called the Dragon Zord for the Green Ranger and Power Ranger. Are you oh, serious? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Holy shit. Well, that's a fucking poll on your part, yes, so kudos sir. to you, oh sir. I <laughs> knew
2: that before you looked that up. Yes. <laughs> that is, I, I, uh, did, I
1: did not know. That is did. why you are the host. Nerd! <laughs>
3: Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that, Yes, man. there
1: is. An infallible way. They won. What's well,
3: a casino. People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think of, a fucking idiot? Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions.
1: It cannot happen. would not happen. You fucking momo, what's the matter with you?
2: Maybe it was a love of
0: the
4: planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space.
2: Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again?
4: The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That
1: price on my head, was that dead or
3: alive? I don't remember. I'll see if he starts shooting.
1: I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture
3: on the peoples of Mesoamerica, or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job.
2: This is how I pay the fucking rent.
3: The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license
2: also told me that you were
3: a straight arrow. You ran a security check on me. Well. Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it, it gets upset. Its yeah. hair falls out. Walter, fucking you know. dog has fucking papers. Over the line!
0: Huh?
3: I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line, this a fall. What happened? Did your,
4: did your balls drop off? <laughs>
1: Hey guys, welcome into episode number 12 of Film Tank. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the 2014 horror film, The Baba Duke. On today's episode, as almost always, we have Nick Cheney here. Baba
2: Okay,
4: very good. Like I don't know if you guys.
2: Shades of Yoda. Well, you yeah. Know, I, actually, I that's think, probably more like it. I think uh, Baba Duke was actually modeled after Yoda, <laughs> uh, both uh, spiritually and uh, thematically. Oh, okay. Very good. <laughs>
1: Uh, also, Toussaint Egan here today. What's up? All right, and Kenny Marcellus, who's also Yo. trying not to do anything funny anymore. Those are just- pretty lame, i got to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to do Duke, but you beat me to it.
2: Oh, well, I guess that's what happens when I'm sitting in the first chair.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alex Diekman, and uh, the four of us will be discussing that movie a little bit later on. If you want to get a hold of the show, you can email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us uh, on FilmTankShow.com. That's where you can find our episodes, all of them. And uh, you can also find us on iTunes or Stitcher, where you can rate and review our shows, which would be greatly appreciated. Before we talk uh, more about The Babadook, let's uh, get an idea of uh, what you guys have been watching the last uh, week or so, get a a week in review. We haven't done one of those segments, it feels like, in a while, but it's only been a couple episodes. But uh, whoever wants to bring something to the table can go ahead and do it. Okay,
3: I watched uh, for the first time "Big Trouble in Little China," and that was awful. I did not like that at all. Yeah. That was uh, probably one of my least favorite uh, John Carpenter films. It basically stars uh, what was it? Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, yeah. Kurt Russell as a um, kind of a weird like truck driver who likes to gamble, and there's lots of like Asian stereotypes, and just it just it just wasn't good.
2: I know a lot of people who still like it to this day, but I think they... It's a cool film. I was going to say, I think, but they also appreciate it as, like, camp. Not as necessarily that it's as good as it's trying to be, but mm-hmm. it's just unintentionally good.
4: Yeah. I had it confused with Big Trouble from 2002, mm. Tim <laughs> Allen, Oh boy, Rene mm. so I saw that shit in the theater. Oof.
2: That's,
1: uh... Unfortunate, yeah, yes. Unfortunate, yeah. yeah. You have seen a lot of shitty movies. I in have. Revenue. That <laughs> I <laughs> have. They
2: all starred Tim Allen. Yeah. <laughs>
3: And uh, I've also been rewatching uh, Cowboy Bebop on Blu-ray, and that's an excellent show, and everybody should watch it. That so, is a
2: good show. Yeah, it's
3: one of my favorites.
2: It's yeah. uh, the episode six, the Ballad of Fallen Angels. is mm-hmm. one of my uh, all-time favorite episodes of any television. So, really, so, yeah. Oh wow! Well, you didn't know that. No, I didn't know. Well, that. now you know. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> well, uh, are you done too, son? I am done. All <laughs> right. Well, I, I have. Uh, uh, a movie that I could talk about. I watched uh, a couple of nights ago, I re-watched, I should say, because I've already seen it before, one of my all-time favorite movies, which is called Revenge. Uh, uh, probably pronouncing that wrong, because it's technically it's an Austrian film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's from 2009, and it centers around a very kind of uh, particular set of circumstances and coincidences. It's about uh, It sounds, per- like, sounds like Taken. Is a particular set of skills. Does that happen yeah. in this movie too? Uh, no, but there is kind of a thriller edge to it. But it's about uh parallel stories of a, uh, let's see, a couple between uh, two people that work in a brothel, basically, mm-hmm. which is uh, this one guy who does all of, like, the grunt work, whether it's like refilling machines or whatever, and one of the... Uh, the ladies that work in there uh who are in a love story that they're not telling it's a particular (laughs) set of skills for sure yeah Yeah. and so like they're uh involved with each other unbeknownst to the uh, the people that run the brothel and there's another story going on uh between a domesticated uh, wife and her husband who is a police officer and at one point the those past converge It's, it's very similar actually it's not a remake but it's very similar to um the movie that just came out a couple years ago the place beyond the pines like I haven't seen that one yeah with Ryan Gosling and um who else oh uh, Bradley Cooper like that movie's plot is almost weirdly similar to the point where i like I'm, I'm wondering if they Plagiarism? Yeah, because like, it's not a remake, and yet they're all... It's, yeah. So anyway, it's something like that where like these two completely random stories become intertwined, interconnected, but this is much better than that movie in the sense that it's it's just a lot more subtle and elegant and beautiful and almost Shakespearean in the way it plays out because once it reaches the point that it becomes predictable, it keeps going, and it keeps going to a more natural conclusion and uh, it's it's hard to talk about it because if you haven't seen it i don't want to ruin too much about it but it features some of the best cinematography i've seen in any film uh it features uh some just some of the most beautiful scenes uh both of just like no dialogue uh and yet some of the just best like acted scenes i've seen it's it's just one of the most unheralded films that actually, I never hear anybody talk about it, which I can understand. It's a very obscure film from Austria from 2009, but it was nominated for Best Foreign Film that year in the Oscars. But anyway, if you haven't seen it, it's part of the Criterion Collection. It's called Revenge, and I highly recommend it.
1: Very good. Uh, I have a couple things to uh, bring to the table for a Week in Review. The first time I had ever seen Wreck-It Ralph was earlier this week. Really? And I, I very much enjoyed it. I love that movie. movie. I, I feel like, and Emily, my wife, was kind of echoing these sentiments as well. We both felt that a lot of things that happened early on in the film where like characters moved from one video game to another and you saw them going through the cables mm-hmm. and everything... That I feel like that's what I felt like a kid, like what happened, like, oh, they were going through that and they joined up and they didn't have fun with Mario Brothers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and it was just things like that, especially in the first 30 minutes of that movie that just brought me back to childhood and that kind of playing thing where you, you believe that these characters Make really believe. can be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the storyline was was okay. I wasn't... A, huge fan of some of it, but I did like a lot of it, and uh, I did like most of the film. I gave it a good grade, and I would uh, suggest anyone that's, watch it.
2: That's my favorite thing that that uh, section of Disney has done, cause the same people that, were the same company, basically, that did uh, Tangled and Frozen and yeah. whatever, but Wreck-It Ralph is my favorite thing that they've done so far.
1: I like the inclusion of the, the characters who were in other properties, like Sonic the Hedgehog and, yeah. and Bowser's in there, and they do their like classic things
2: that you would see them doing. Yeah, the villains' anonymous meeting was great. I th- yes. that scene I thought it's, was. Fantastic. It's very
3: much the video game equivalent of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit in that way yeah. and that they had to get all these licensed characters on there. So
1: yeah, yeah. I was a big fan and I would uh, I would check it out. I definitely want to see it a second time, but uh, I didn't think it was perfect. But I definitely thought it was a good, uh, fun movie that I would watch again. Would you go see a sequel? Yeah, I'm sure
2: there will be a sequel, probably. There's been talks about it, and i got to admit, I'm kind of curious about the idea behind the sequel, which is that the one thing that the they said that they didn't get to do the first time around is acknowledge g- gaming consoles, mm-hmm. and, of course, mm-hmm. the the online gaming and all that kind of stuff. So I would kind of like to see that uh, play out at, like on a large... Because that was the one thing I... I and I love the movie, but mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed that once it gets to the sweets... Uh, it really stays
1: there for the rest of yeah, the movie. Yeah, which is
2: totally fine, because it kind of does have to be you know, about something. Um, yeah. But if the next movie could kind of kick it up a notch and go through even more like different gaming worlds, that would be pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and I would love to see a sequel for it. Uh, another, speaking of sequels, uh, the other movie I wanted to bring up, uh, I brought it up on last week's show for a little bit, is Thor the Dark World. Ooh. I rewatched that and I gave that the uh, same grade I gave uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. And after seeing the Thor Dark World movie, I have to say I like it more than Avengers uh, Age of Ultron. I still give them the same rating. Um, and it, it was funny because I had never noticed this before. But in the uh, opening, one of the opening scenes, uh, Jane Foster and the character Darcy, who's played by Kat Dennings in the uh, Thor movies, uh, they start driving towards their laboratory in London, and there is a billboard on the side of the road that says, "Is this journey really necessary?" I just, <laughs> I just ate it up because it's one of those movies that people could say, "What's the point here?" And yeah. honestly, I think this was almost a filmmaker kind of like picking at himself a little bit because i don't think that was there by accident let's put it that way yeah uh there's just so much fun in this movie i think that's the thing for me is that although this has like a series because this does involve one of the infinity stones uh and it's kind of got a throwaway character but especially the final act uh you have to go along with what's happening in this universe but there was so much fun happening uh in the latter part of this film that i just uh ate it up so i'm a fan of thor the dark world and uh it uh, is out there I'm sure somewhere for you to see so I'd check it out what check about it you? out at your
2: local blockbuster <laughs> <laughs>
1: good luck good luck finding your those it from the air <laughs> did you watch anything this week Kenny at all mm, no okay I did <laughs> unless sports count did you watch the and, Babadook and, and, at least yeah,
4: I, I, I did watch oh, Babadook okay, Yeah. so unless sports count because it is uh, playoff hockey basketball and baseball season so wow so I was doing double duty whole, watching both so well I also spent a lot of time this week learning to shoot and edit video. Oh, okay. But, uh that took up all my time, quite honestly. I just did not have time to watch too much other well, anything. So,
1: well, maybe
2: next time. Maybe yeah. next time. And <laughs> if did, not I, next I, time, then we got to, you know, talk about your place here on this uh, podcast. I did. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I did get a hell of a bargain on three all three Iron Man DVDs all, all three Blu-rays for 25 bucks so well done. maybe this week I'll watch all three of those. Yeah, I
2: saw that at Target that it's been everywhere and that's actually it was almost tempting me and I'm not even a big fan of those movies.
4: Me neither but for $25 it's I mean most Blu-rays yeah. are 20, 25 bucks
2: yeah. anyway. so Especially for Marvel considering those movies are always price gouged all the way to the limit and they never even when these movies uh, come out like when, when Age of Ultron came out I saw all these displays of uh, you know like catch up and buy the the last Marvel movies or whatever, and yet they're not on sale actually at all. Yeah,
1: more. like the Fast and Furious movies were all like nine ninety nine for all for Blu rays. Not Mars only actually,
2: I gotta say this: I actually bought every single Fast and Furious movie because they were all six bucks at Best Buy, and oh, I was no. wow. and I was like, I can't, and that's, that's how I watched uh, hell Too deal. Fast, Too Furious for the first time this <laughs> week. Which I want to go on the record and say that I actually really liked, and it's easily not the worst uh, Fast and the nope. Furious entry. Four, so fourth worst. I would say one in four are kinda of tied. One in particular. But obviously that's like another conversation. We'll save this so
3: Baba We'll
1: save this for two years from well, now when we're talking about the Eighth Fest and the Furious movie. I uh,
4: while I didn't watch all of it, I did catch some of a movie I really enjoy. Frank Frankenweenie. <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys have <laughs> seen yeah. Frankenweenie. Tim wow. Burton's
2: Frank and Weenie? Yeah.
4: That, that's a pretty solid movie. It's about a kid who's well, the part you
2: saw at least.
4: No, I've i <laughs> I've seen it before oh. but it was on again and I watched it. So I much. got confused. I thought you were <laughs> just
2: like talking to like well, I saw ten minutes of a like... <laughs> no 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 okay so you've already seen it I've seen Frankenweenie and I would strongly <laughs>
4: recommend it to people uh, I've, I've heard it's pretty good yeah, it's a really good movie. It's about a kid whose dog gets run over by a car and he's doing some crazy science experiment and brings his dog back to life but the dog does all these crazy We've all been there. bad things <laughs> does really bad things to like the neighborhood and, and stuff like that it's, it's geared towards kids but it's like especially around Halloween time it's a good fun movie I'd, yeah. I'd strongly recommend
1: it yeah right on So today we are, as I mentioned, talking about the Babadook.
0: And then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Hello I want to report someone stalking me and my child.
1: Can you tell us what happened?
0: Somebody sent me a children's book. And? And it contained violent and graphic images of my child and me being murdered. Can we have a look at the book, please? I burnt it. You burnt it? Yes. Well, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about it.
2: He's been making phone calls to me as well. What's he been saying? Nothing, just making these noises. How do you know it's the same person? Because of what he wrote in the book. The
0: book you burnt?
2: Even good enough to have a dad. Everyone else has one, you don't. I do have a dad. I listen to your life day in,
0: day out, and you never stop to ask me anything about mine. I do.
2: I want to know how you are. You don't come around to our house anymore because I can't stand being around your son. Bye <laughs> Just
0: really hungry. If you're
2: that hungry,
0: why don't you go
1: and eat shit? So the Babadook was released last year, 2014, uh, and it was directed and written by Jennifer Kent, who, for the most part, this was her first major film. She's had a couple other small things, including the short film that inspired the Babadook, but this is her first major film i would say uh and it stars SE davis noah wiseman and uh that's pretty much all you need to know all the other people you probably haven't even heard of them but all the other people are very minor characters and the story of uh, a single mother plagued by the violent death of her husband battles with her son's fears of a murking lo- of a murking every week you gotta have something like that of a lurking monster in the house but soon discovers that the sinister presence is also all around her. Mm-hmm. So, uh, guys, what did we think about The Babadook? Uh This is on Netflix, so if you haven't caught it yet, you can catch it. Uh, this is a horror movie, and I know myself and Nick are not the biggest horror fans, but... Uh, Nick, you liked It Follows earlier this year, and uh, I guess we should start with you, and I'm interested to
2: interested to see what you thought about The Duke. Oh man, this was the funniest movie I have seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, like you say, I, I, it takes a lot for me to watch a horror movie, and this was one that's been on my radar for so long because of how overhyped it was, well, not overhyped, but it got a lot of hype in and outside of horror circles. It was last year's It Follows.
1: Yeah. It was a Sundance film, too, right? I I believe it premiered in the U.S. at Sundance, because it's an Australian
2: film, and it had actually been making the rounds there first, and that's kind of like, it almost got this nice word of mouth before it even got over here type thing, and I think that kind of helped it as far as... So
1: it was kind of the same thing as It Follows, where it was not in the competition, but it showed
2: at Sundance. I believe so, yes. Okay. And uh, I gotta say, I I watched it just last night uh, for the first time, and I loved it. I thought, I actually liked this more than It Follows, and... I thought this is honestly the most terrifying movie I've seen in so long but in a way that I never expected because it's not um it's not your typical horror film there are no, no. like jump scares whatsoever in fact whenever you even get glimpses of the monster it's usually like in slow motion I mean you know or just kind of like this weird Almost like it... Stop motion. I was going to say, it reminded me of stop motion, which, of course, ties into the whole storybook uh, kind mm. of fluidity and what well,
4: honestly, it's not even scary when you see it. It's kind of comical almost.
2: Yeah, and it's like, that's what I kind of loved about it, that it didn't do what I thought it would do pretty much at almost every turn and something that I would love to praise about this movie is that, A, I thought the editing was amazing. Like, it's better edited than so many films that I saw last year, um, which is something that is so crucial for horror movies. If you cannot edit a movie, then you should not be making a horror film. Like, you could still get away with making a, a comedy or making whatever, but like, that's the one genre besides maybe action where you have to be able to coherently move set pieces around. Right. In a horror movie, if you, you need good editing, and this isn't just good editing. This is, like, fantastic editing. There's some uh, transitions in this movie that left me deeply unsettled. I mean, I'm talking, like, when um, the mother is at the playground talking to her... I don't know, was that her friend, her, cousins, s- I cousin. Was her cousin. I think it's her sister, isn't it? Her, their, yeah, their, sister. their kids are cousins. The, the kids are cousins. Yes, yes. Okay. yeah okay. Right. Their sister. So yeah, when she's at the playground talking to her sister, and she hears her son, uh, you know, cry, <laughs> cry out for her, say, "Mommy, look at this. Mom, look at this." And finally, she does. Yeah. And it goes from one cut to her looking up at him to the next cut to, and of course, all this while he's been climbing this monkey bars, and then it goes from another cut to him standing on the. Uh, monkey bars, straight away to another cut of them reacting horrified and then all of a sudden straight to another cut of them in their car while the kid is wailing because he presumably fell down or something. Mm-hmm. and it's, it's just that kind of thing because it never uh, uses these cuts to scare the audience but the absence of sound and the score itself mixed in with these just Weirdly almost intrusive cuts uh just left me disturbed on a in a way I was just not expecting when I sat down to watch this movie but um as far as uh the way this movie handles its themes, I think it's a little too blunt i mean. I mean, as far as the whole the Baba Duke mm-hmm. is this kind of adult fairy tale creation that the mother is kind of constructing in her head because she's always felt a resentment against her child mm-hmm. in the wake of her uh, father's, or not her father's, her husband's uh, death and whatnot. So, to have the Baba Duke become a literal horror stand-in for that fear and emotion that like it, it worked on a visceral level, but like afterwards, I'm kind of thinking like, okay, it could have been like I almost wish there was like a little less explained. I I wish there weren't a few too many scenes of her shouting at her son. Like I wish, you know, it was him instead of you or, or you instead of him or whatever. And there are a few things that didn't quite work, but on a visceral level, this was one of the most terrifying experiences I've ever had. And not because any one scene in particular, like made my heart start racing, but because I could never, stop watching, and yet I wanted to pause it at every second. So Was it, it
4: part of that terror triggered by the creepy-ass little kid?
2: <laughs> well, I thought he was actually a great cast. He, he was. He, he kind of <laughs> harkened back to like the whole Damien, you know, the like, omen type. He uh, was horrifying. Yeah, and that was a great misdirection, because at first you think that that's where the story's going to go, right. that he is like possessed right. by the Babadook, or something like that, but the, the story really kind of zooms past that almost immediately yeah. after the first a- half hour or so. Right. Um, because it does become a, about the mother and and the mother's relationship with her own son. So I, I thought she, she, he was fantastic uh, casting and like it was perfect because once he, I found him even more terrifying once he wasn't possessed and that he was just this helpless little kid in this horrific situation. It kind of reminded me of a the Robert Mitchum film Night of the Hunter, mm-hmm. where um, that is one of the best kind of gothic fairy tales uh, on film where two children have to live with their stepfather, who may or may not have killed uh, their mother. And they can't prove it, but they are children, so nobody believes them, even though they know for a fact that he did. And it's just kind of like watching this kind of cinematic child's worst nightmare come to life, and that's kind of like what I felt about this. And I could go on, but uh, I, I thought it was fantastic.
3: I really enjoyed The Duke. I actually recommended that we watch The Duke, so I'm really glad that we're finally watching it. Um, I enjoy the atmosphere of this film. I enjoy the lighting of this film. I especially enjoy the stage construction of this film, especially of the house, because the, the color palette very much emulates that of the storybook itself, which is very drab and gray yep. and dark. And I love that prop itself. It's just a really... Cool, like.
2: That's why I love that Shout Factory released the Blu-ray of this, uh, which is kind of unique because most of the time, and I think it's only because it was an Australian film, but most of the time, it, you know, somebody picks it up, whether it's Sony or Warner Brothers for home video. And because Shout Factory picked it up, their uh, Blu-ray cover is the actual cover. Like, it made it look like the Babadook book oh, itself. Wow. Did so, you say yeah. this
4: was an Australian film? Yes, I was wondering that. I didn't yeah, know that's, that's why they had American accents. Or,
2: yeah, well, I I just didn't know if. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Okay. Yep. Australia. Just, just, just was curious. Mm-hmm. I got that feel that it was definitely not a not American, American or, film. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. definitely.
3: Okay. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the characters of the mother and the child, just because I. I can kind of empathize with both of them in sort of ways. Like, you know, like being a kid is just like, nobody's going to believe you. It's like, if there's this terrible thing going on, it's like, because it's just thing is like, you know, it's a kid, he's making it up. And his mother is just like, she's trying her best to, to raise her child, even though like he's so abnormal. It's like, he's, he's just a weird, weird, weird little kid. And just seeing. But their... see,
2: is he abnormal? Yeah. Because I don't know that the film for me personally ever gave enough evidence for I think she thought he was because Mm -hmm. of the way that she treated him, which was obviously a reflection of the guilt that she was living with. Mm -hmm. But I always, I guess, by the time I finished the film, I pretty much walked away thinking that the child was actually perfectly normal and, like, anything that he did that was quote unquote abnormal was just because he was being raised in an environment that was pretty much poisoned from the day he was born.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: I can agree with that.
3: I'm just curious.
2: Yeah, if anybody saw it differently, or no,
4: I definitely with you. I I almost feel like what I liked that the film did was it it painted him out in the first place to to be the one that you sh- should almost kind of resent, kind of like the mother in the beginning. That you know, it it was very good. The, the movie was very good about feeding into the whole childhood fairy tale thing, becoming a haunted thing to the kid and. Yep. And he very much seemed like he was tormented and driving the mother crazy, but then it just totally pulled a 180 at a certain point and just total role reversal where suddenly you felt like I felt bad for the kid by the end of the movie, for sure. Like, uh, you know, towards the end of the movie, after she chokes the dog to death and then she's choking (laughs) him, it's like, Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you feel really bad for the kid. So... I'm with you. I yeah. felt the same exact way.
1: I think uh, this film has an interesting message on... Um, Grief. Trauma. I was not going to go there, but that's okay. Thanks for putting <laughs> words in my mouth. Sorry, man. <laughs> <You> sorry, <asshole. laughs> I'm sorry, Alex. Um, I think it has an interesting thing to say about... Sex. Also, no. But thank you. Again. About what, Alex? About, <laughs> about um, pharmaceutical drugs. An interesting message about that, where... I, I For me, at least, it seems pretty clear that the mother is, in, is on some sort of sleeping pill at the beginning of the film. We see the two separate times where as soon as she lays down, we see another brilliant work of editing where it becomes daylight and she's yeah. awoken and whatever. Which happens quite a bit. Well, uh, and when her, her son starts taking the sleeping pills, he, for the most part, becomes... Normal, for lack of a better term, docile, and she has the energy transferred to her. So, I think it was an in, that was an interesting sort of reading between the lines type thing that had a, a, something to say about you you taking certain drugs. Not even that they're bad, but that, that those kind of things can help, especially if you have horrible anxiety. Which I think, even though you're saying he's a normal kid, it seems like he's an extremely like anxiety ridden child who has. Issues that aren't necessarily all his fault. Like he's not a right. bad kid, but you're talking about him living in a toxic environment. I do think that was obviously a huge part of it. But um, and especially uh, there are a lot of people who put things um, into kind of the, the place that a child is born into, and that him being born with the father being dead, like that was a toxic environment just to be born into, and basically from birth he's pretty much been fucked. So
2: well, it's but that's the thing though. It's not toxic from birth because the father died it's toxic from birth because she could not live with the father dying and i'm not saying that like she should be able to or something like like she's a pussy or something like that <laughs> but I, th- I think you are i know <laughs> but no uh, yeah that was a joke uh-huh. but when you when when something like that happened i'm not going to speak for obviously everybody or anybody who's had something like this happen but you there are different paths you can take and unfortunately uh, whether it's just a chemical imbalance in her brain or whether it's a personal ph- philosophy or whatever, she kind of took one of the worst paths she could take, which is that she t- started living with her own grief in a physical manifestation. And for her, that was her son. Because when you think about it, it you know, if, if the father died that day when she was going to go on the way to the hospital, right, uh, to give birth, then that's the kind of thing that, like it it truly would grow over the years just like her son because when when he's a baby you know the son's not talking or anything like that so he's just a blank canvas for her to you know dote on or whatever but like the older he gets and the more i'm assuming that he'll start to remind her of of uh, her ex uh, husband. Well, there
4: was the one scene where he, like, stroked the side of her face and she freaked yes. out about it. Yeah. Because yes. I, I'm that, was, that was something really, like he used to do. Really yeah. unsettling.
2: And, right. um, but yeah, a little thing like that. The closer he gets to, like, adulthood, the more she's going to basically hate him because she can't live with somebody who's not uh, her husband that reminds her of so much of her husband. So I actually think, like, It's not because the father died because the boy himself seems like he's perfectly capable of moving past this idea that he's not going to have a father because, you know, like he's saying in the supermarket to strangers and he's like, oh, my dad died on the way to the – you know, whatever. (laughs) It's the mother that can't unfortunately put her own you know, emotional needs aside and – basically raise her child because she feels somehow like she can't do it without her husband and therefore she becomes like a i thought she was actually like basically a monster throughout the whole movie literally by the end of the movie because she literally becomes possessed by the Duke, but that was just a you know the horror film manifestation of uh her own
3: resentment coming up to boil up. exactly
2: i mean we hear all the time about like in the news about like mothers that unfortunately like Take their sons out, you know. Take their children out to like a lake and drive the car in, and you know those did, kind of did things. they even have like a, a news article yes, about that in the watches film? It. Yeah. And if not only that, but it looks like it could have been her. Like it could, looked like she could be seeing the future of what you know this natural conclusion. That was a really creepy scene. That's yes. how
4: that's how I literally took that scene. Yep. Was it was like her subconscious, like she was yep. seeing what was going to happen, play out. Yep. And, and what eventually did and
2: In a very literal way, too, because right. Baba Duke is like a fantastical creature, and yet what she was watching is not like, it was like, oh, neighbors say they spotted a creature or something like that. It was just mother choked out her son right. uh, and her smiling in the window. That was just so fucking creepy. Uh, Man. But so, yeah, I kind of, what I loved is that, for me, I thought this was an uncompromising portrait of a just a bad parent uh, because I feel like so many times in horror movies when we have this kind of cliched relationship between a, like a parent and a, like a abnormal child. It's always the mom that is so, or mom or dad, really that is so selfless and like, so caring and they're just trying their best here. I don't think she was trying her best. I think she was, you know, horrible. And, uh, I thought that was just a great inversion of that trope and just kind of driving home that's that's Unfortunately, it's actually kind of realistic and it's, it's rooted in a very deep and, uh, I don't know, a traumatic thing that does happen in real life in yeah. in, in very extreme situations.
1: So, Kenny, uh, me and you have talked about this movie a little bit, but we haven't given our overall opinions yet, so uh, interested to see, hear what you thought about this movie kind of as a whole.
4: I absolutely loved it for all the things we're already talking about. I love the editing of it. Nick, You touched you touched on it earlier. It was... I felt like while there were no jump scare scenes per se, there were simply in the editing alone. Like the beginning of this movie is fucking horrifying. Just yeah. simply through the way they edit the scenes together, you you expect things to happen, yet they don't. Only just these cut you know cuts from scene to scene, and um, some of some of the 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 audio in this movie, uh, besides the Boba Duke itself, which I fucking I I just couldn't stop laughing at it every time it would happen. It was the worst I've heard since The Grudge, honestly. But it kind of go like the Babadook, uh it almost was comical to the point where I at some point I just put that aside like okay, it's just part of the character, like it's part of the Babadook where it's almost poking fun at how comical the Babadook is. When he slides in on a rail right which, like, <laughs> like like I, I I just eventually told myself, if you're getting hung up on this, you're missing the point of the baba Duke. like you're you're just missing it we were, so
1: can I can I throw something yeah, in go really ahead. quickly yeah, uh, you talk about his character being comical, and i i went I went into YouTube, I went to YouTube to even look this up to confirm, and it was exactly what I thought it was, so the Babadook Duke makes this weird sound when it like comes up towards this, like, Wah! it's like a sound fucking dinosaur. <laughs> it's the exact same sound. Sound is, is used for the uh, the Zord called the Dragon Zord for the Green Ranger and Power Ranger. Are you oh, serious? Yes. Yeah. Holy wow. shit. Well, that's a fucking pull on your part, so yes, kudos sir. to you, oh my sir. God.
4: I,
2: <laughs> I, I knew that before you looked that up. Yes. <laughs> that is, I, uh, I, did, I did not know. That is why you are the host. Nerd!
3: <laughs> that is incredible. I love this film. That's
1: awesome. I didn't, that is cool. I didn't like think it was the... I didn't know which one it was, so I had to like watch each
2: one <laughs> of oh, their... Bullshit.
3: Bullshit. <laughs> I didn't. You had to watch all the Power Rangers. I knew it was
2: Power Rangers, but I... thought it was, injuries, thought it I, was the original yeah, Megazord. Don't act like you didn't love it.
1: <laughs> it's funny because we don't need to, like talk about it at length, but I did actually love the Power Rangers Dude, when I was a kid. No, we're here. doing a Power Rangers same episode here. right now. I love the Power Rangers, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I knew that go, sound go, from go. somewhere, and that right. was and I almost like immediately was like, yeah. I think that's where it's from, and I looked it up, and it was <laughs> I mean I I tried like three different For clips sure. before I finally found it. It was the it was the Dragon Sword I, that uh, the Green Ranger who was totally, always my favorite. totally
4: man. giving you a hard time and busting your balls, but I'm glad you did that because when I heard it, I was like, f- I, I didn't ever think Power Rangers, but I knew it was... (laughs) No? I I recalled that audio... I mean, you're a normal person. I I recalled that clip of audio from somewhere. I just assumed it was Jurassic Park or something, but I knew that I had recognized it from somewhere else. But no, other than that, editing, excellent. The color of this, excellent. I mean, it's a total, just perfect, gloomy, kind of grayish, dark, very, very just awesome color of the whole movie. Um I I loved the, the the story as a whole. I um yeah, I mean it took me it even took me a little while after watching it to really fully digest it, but I mean the more the the more time has gone by since watching it the more I like this movie. And then once I started reading other people's reviews and and kind of their what they thought of it, I yeah, I, I fucking love this movie. I, I loved It Follows, but this was much better, I thought. Way better. This mm. is definitely the best horror film I've seen in a long time.
1: Very good. <clears throat> um, I did enjoy this film. I, I, I wouldn't give this like a great score or anything like that. I'll give it a good score. Uh, I enjoyed this more than It Follows, for sure. <laughs> um, I feel like this... Even though it kind of got the best of both worlds for me, where this was trying to be more of a psychological thriller than a horror movie in a lot of parts... But at the same time, it went back to a lot of horror tropes, but did them in such a better way. Like, bringing in the whole sexual side of things with the vibrator scene with the mother, I thought was almost brilliant. So this
4: movie was about sex, in your opinion? (laughs) No, it's not,
1: actually. It was just like a a trope from... That scene was
4: really awkward. It was. I I was sitting there watching it, and and my wife was sitting there doing... Oh, no. uh, (laughs) She wasn't fully engaged in the movie, and then that scene came on, and she's like, what the fuck? What... I couldn't. I
1: couldn't explain I, it. I'm I like, I, I, explain. I she's just sitting there masturbating. You I don't know. Like, yeah, you should have just
2: played dumb and be like, I have no idea what the hell she's doing. What is that?
1: Yeah, she found Hulk zucchini somewhere and started oh to God. use it. All right, very good. Yeah, but it was it was little things like that uh, and other um, kind of like the the use of magic in this movie was something that I also absolutely yeah. loved. Mm-hmm. Where the kid, he's almost watching that like extremely creepy Vincent Price DVD on magic, mm. and he's doing different magical things. And I feel like uh, the the way that like religion views magic and that kind of thing, almost saying that oh, it's these impossible things. Where I feel like this movie almost uses magic as like a like like a theme for the overall theme of the film, where there's an explanation for everything that is happening. But if you're just like stepping outside and watching it and not thinking about it, it could seem like more than it is. Um, so there's a lot of things that I liked about this, and if I were going to compare it to It Follows, I liked more than It Follows. And uh, just overall as a movie, uh, I love the look of this movie. There were there were so many scenes that reminded me of David Fincher films, and I I, I love that. I can see that. Towards
3: the end, when um when the child is being chased by the mother because she's possessed by the Babadook, and she's going down the stairs, she gets tripped. I almost thought I it was almost like a Home Alone horror film in a, in a way, and I wish there were more traps in this in this entire movie. Like when he's uh, using the uh, the smoke, uh, like, like the smoke firecrackers in order to avert mm-hmm. the mothers. Like I thought that was really cool.
4: One of the big payoffs in this movie for me, and the problem I've had, I've, I talked about this a little bit with the It Follows episode we did. My problem with with horror films is. And I don't have this problem until certain points in horror films recently where you find yourself watching a movie and you're engaged, you're intrigued by what's going on, and then they just don't deliver because of some stupid fucking plot in the story, or or they go too over the top with the jump scare shit. Uh, to, to me, I, I, I found myself watching this movie thinking, this this is really good so far, but how are they going to finish it off? And God damn it they fucking they delivered at the end and it was that was such a payoff. I feel like for me with horror movies lately it all it takes is just a smartly written storyline and that's all you got to give me and I'm going to be hooked on it. So I
2: I love The Final Activist movie particularly mm-hmm. because it I feel like in a lesser movie it would seem repetitive because throughout the whole movie you have these kind of alternating scenes between like what they're doing by day, and then of course the horror that they're uh, you know faced with at night, which is very standard of any horror film. Uh, but once we get to the last half hour, it's all pretty much is self-contained to this one final night uh, where it all comes to a head. And I, even just breaking that apart, I feel like there's a three-act structure to what's happening just in that night alone. That doesn't make it feel like they're just running from room to room to room. Right. There's actual there's a story progression to what she has to go through. And what he has to go through as well, the child uh, that night before they can come out the other end. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, I, I also want to mention one thing. You just said something that I'm starting to like mull over in my head. Could you said the phrase, which I think I even said it earlier, mm-hmm. "possessed by the Baba Duke." I'm starting to think that I don't even think that any anybody was possessed nope. by the Baba Duke. I no, when, no, And that's kind of what I'm talking about that. earlier sure. the, uh, when I said that how like. I think what's great about this is that she, for me, was a shitty mother. And then psychologically, when she came across this book and she saw like how it disturbed her son, like I think what's great is that she started hiding behind the Papa Duke. Now, of course, what we're watching on the screen, yes, there is a, a monster floating around and stuff like that. Well, But we can't take everything literally. The
3: nature of this monster in the last act of the film, I love. I, I especially love the last act of this film as well because it shows – the Baba Duke isn't destroyed. The Baba Duke is imprisoned in the yeah. actual basement. And it's like... It, it, it's Which is where
1: all the father stuff is. Exactly. And, and, it, and it's, it's still... Just burying that shit deep down. So you have to think about exactly. it. Exactly. It's not necessarily <laughs>
3: or, uh, burying it deep down. Because she tried doing that.
1: And it just
2: kind
3: of like bubbled up over the course of the yeah, film. Right. But, but like this is like...
2: And there are scenes of literally where the child is opening it. And mm-hmm. she's saying we need to remain that closed. And, exactly.
3: Yep. Like her going down there and giving it food and then like coming back and like talking to the kids. it's like, you know, I'll let you see it maybe when you're older or something like that. It's like, it's, it's tying into the fact that this monster isn't necessarily a, a, an entirely predatory supernatural force, but rather yeah. is just a manifestation of your own th- fears, your own trauma, yeah. your yeah. own guilt. Yep. And it's not that you can extinguish those things. You just have to put it in its right place can so, we also
1: yeah. uh mention i want to mention really quickly the amazing awkwardness of the uh um of the child protective services sitting yeah. there with the happy <laughs> birthday banner <laughs> oh
2: man that was amazing yes you know. but yeah. that's also another thing really quick i was gonna say was that that final day as far as like app af- like the day after mm-hmm. that whole uh final showdown is like that scene only makes sense to me if like, the rest of the movie was all in her head. You know what I mean? Because as far as... I'm not saying that the kid wasn't scared of the Duke or anything like that. It's not so much that the entire movie was all a dream or anything like that. But, like, when he's celebrating his birthday, like, if we're, if we're supposed to take that literal, like, he seems fine. And I do think that's an indication that the only person who has to continue living with this is the person that was conjuring these images up which is the mother and I kind of think that's I wouldn't say proven but it's definitely set up by various scenes of her waking up like uh, when she falls asleep on the couch and all of a sudden like all that Babadook stuff happens toward the the beginning of the final act and then she wakes up and the kid's just staring at her so I think there were several instances where the movie kind of clued in that this is all her psychosis and the child is just being affected by it because he has to live with her.
4: The Babadooks corniness as i was trying to allude to earlier it's just one of those signs i thought to me the babadook throughout the entire movie never was an actual thing it was strictly just a metaphorical well it's it's,
1: it's the boogeyman right i mean but it's in the boogeyman her her head worst nightmare yeah whatever you want to call it it. the the babadook is even um inspired by the serbian word for boogeyman like it even means boogeyman like that's what it is what's
4: so interesting about this movie is it's it's like her. It's her boogeyman. It's not right. actually ever the kid's boogeyman. It's it's her, mm. and 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 the whole fucking movie. Every time, it, it was just metaphorical. Like yeah. The, the Baba Duke. Anytime it's. Rearing its head, whether it be to the kid or to her, it's always. I felt like every time the kid was seeing it, it was actually him just being scared of his mom being exactly. a shitty mother. Yes, every time she'd scream and yell at him, he wasn't literally seeing the Babadook. Yes. He was scared to death of his bad mother. Not, and not bad mother per se. It was the the, the, no the Babadook to her was her anger and hostility towards her kid. Yes, about her husband dying on the day that he was born, and so that to me, this is just. It might be the smartest horror movie I've ever seen. Like, it, it, it just, it, it hit so hard. And you guys talked about the ending. This was a great movie through its entirety. And then it hit another fucking gear at the end. It just accelerated. Instead of snagging on anything and slowing down, it, it accelerated. It intensified. It, it, it was just, it was, it just, it punched at the end so hard. Great.
1: What, what I was mentioning too, about how this brings in so many different old tropes of horror films. It even does that in the Dana of the finale where you see the Babadook again, like it's coming back again, mm-hmm. but right. it's still in the basement. Like, I feel like that is such a great thing that Jennifer Kent did with this film is she took stereotypes and tropes from the horror genre and, and made things her own with them in this film. And I think it played out so well. That was one of the, my my favorite things of the film. One of my favorite things is seeing these kind of ways she was able to use the the parts of the horror genre which people have pretty much gotten tired of and hating and sort of bringing them in in a different way. And I feel
4: like that's why she almost poked fun at the appearance of the Duke, Almost just as if to say, I know it's stupid and it's ridiculous,
1: but... It's, I don't, I don't Look at
3: his funny hat.
1: Yeah, I don't, I just, <laughs> his little top hat and his little jazz fingers. <laughs> I don't even think it was that he... Beetlejuice jazz fingers. <laughs> she was necessarily poking fun at the Duke. I feel like no. the Duke resembled almost exactly what he looked like in the book, which... But, right, yeah, I mean, that was, yeah. including
2: the voice, too, where it's like... It's just like, it's the kind right. of thing a
1: child would make us, yes. yeah.
2: And so, but that's what makes it all more creepier that she's an adult but and yet it's, you know.
4: it's also one of those things, though, that over the years, as you see horror films that try to capitalize on the jump scares, like, yeah, you're never going to really make it realistic. You, no, it's just yeah. not possible. So to take it and, and, and make it look straight out of the book as a childish appearance, I mean,
2: I mean, this was like, to me, like it was a, a Dr. Seuss. Horror movie, yeah. you know, as far as like it's just coming out of right. like, it's like what should be all as well, like on a book, mm-hmm. just would just look ridiculous and yet I think terrifying in real life because you mm-hmm. can't explain it and yet it has this weird, like, esoteric uh, markup of its design and whatnot. Can I was we- going to mention one other thing because you just brought it up, Alex. Um, the ending that is a very, very cliched uh, horror movie ending, which is that once they got through it all up, the monster is still there. However, it perfectly fits this film, which is, as, as I was saying, and Kenny, you completely summed it all up for me, that since for me, at least I'm, I'm with you, that this all is the mother's, uh, worst fear manifested that, that is the kind of thing that would never go away. So if, it, without that, like the absence of that scene would have actually made this a worse movie, because then yeah. it would have been like, oh, they defeated the Babadook. Well, <laughs> let me say
4: this, because as much as I enjoyed the metaphorical aspects of this movie, I didn't even think... After watching that final scene, I kind of found myself wondering, the, the whole thing with the worms and feeding the Babadook, I was kind of like, hmm. But, it's a monster. Well, but here's <laughs> the thing. I, I read another person's review of this, and yeah. and... I even more impressed. Another metaphor for the for the worms. It was almost as if she was tending to her own garden, where it was saying basically the Babadook is still in the basement because it's still she. She just learned to manage her yeah, feelings that's about how her I kid and her husband, and it was literally just one more metaphor at saying she's learned and found a way to manage and deal right. with her fears and her.
2: I mean, psychotherapy itself will teach you that. You cannot deal with, like, you know, emotions or negative fear or whatever by simply not thinking about yeah. them because then it's only going to get worse. You need so to
4: manage them. Exactly. And, so right.
2: when she was feeding it, like, it was yeah. this weird, like, I thought that was almost comical just because it was like a, like, literally her going down there with worms to feed the Baba And, like, uh, well, and like I it, thought there would be like a dinner bell being rung. Well, and or then something. It, came <laughs> out,
4: it came out and scared her, yeah. and she, she, Toned it back, and she pulled in the reins, and she controlled it. Yeah, and
2: this is the best thing she could do for her child moving forward because this is the one thing she failed to do all while he was growing up.
4: And then to tell her son when he said, Can I see it? And she said, Maybe one day when you're older— was basically her just saying I'll tell you about this exactly. when you're older and you'll understand more so. Yeah. Yeah, this movie just continued to deliver for me.
1: One thing Toussaint brought up uh, after we saw the movie is that the the short film uh, called Monster, which was also done by Jennifer Kent. Everybody
2: knows I'm a motherfucking monster. <laughs> <laughs> was that
1: it? Yeah. That should have been your intro, man. Was oh, that man. your Nicki well, Minaj impression?
2: No, from? that was uh Kanye West. But, yeah, but that was Nicki Minaj. That's Nicki yeah, Minaj. Oh, yeah, right. Song. That's her verse. Anyway, continue. Yes, I, for, I continue forget about. that that a
1: was little, her
4: A little verse. credit here for knowing that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was very good. I'm very proud of you, King. <laughs> but no one wanted to give me credit for knowing the Power Rangers noise? No. Nah. That's just embarrassing. You didn't embarrassing. it. If you go back and listen, I you think didn't actually I, I give you some credit. You didn't
2: I do the noise. <laughs> I, mean, if
1: I tried. <laughs> it didn't go off very well. <laughs>
3: like you were saying about the short film, Alex.
1: Yeah, the the short film is is different from this film, but I feel like embodies almost everything in a short film it doesn't give you everything about it, but... It's a summation of the major themes. Yes. And uh, one of the interesting parts is this film almost ends the same way with her having the Babadook trapped, which I think in that short film is in a closet. Closet. Um, and she leaves a glass of some sort of liquid milk, milk <laughs> yeah. for him. And that's the end of the movie is the... Credits. We.
2: What? I'm sorry. Was, anyway, yeah. I was emulating uh, Tucson's Game of Mad Lives over here. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> Game of Mad Lives. It's milk. That's what it is. So the Babadook's hand reaches out and grabs the milk and pulls it in and closes the door. Uh, and I, I feel like the the short film, I would definitely recommend checking it out after you've seen the film because... It, as I said, it was gave it a lot of the similar themes, but I wouldn't watch it before because I think if you just watch it, you'd be like, "What? What is this? Like, it's just this crazy, dreamy thing happening." But it's uh, and it definitely implores something that uh, Nikki brought up to me before we started the episode. The short film is shot all in black and white. It is mm-hmm. black and white, and I feel like that is great for horror films. Black and white has always been my favorite way to see a horror film, and the this film, the actual full length Babadook film. Um, has a very interesting color palette to it. Monochromatic tones. Yeah, I wanted to bring it up if you guys enjoyed that or you thought that that brought something more to the table when I definitely think that it did. Yeah,
2: I did. I thought it was, uh, besides... Thematically tying it into the book's design itself, uh, which was that she was living in this child's nightmare type thing. I thought that was great, and I do think I, I get what you're saying as far as like you know, if it was shot in black and white, I might even like it even better because I, I think that would have been even more fitting. However, this was like the closest thing you could get to it and yet still kind of make it marketable to a mainstream audience because a lot of people don't want to go see Black and White anymore, sadly. So that, I, I thought it was a, definitely a fitting choice.
3: That house looked like it was pulled out of a Tim Burton sketchbook, and I hate mm-hmm. to say that because I know that it's it's an art style that's not just like employed by Tim Burton, but he's the most famous example of that kind of
4: like stretched-out, fun house. Adam's like, family darkest, kind of stuff. Yeah, Adam's family kind
3: of Well, aesthetic.
1: that's what his older work used to be, at least. Yeah, yeah.
4: well, I touched on it in the Week in Review if you guys haven't seen frankenweenie it's the same thing it's a lot of black and white and and those kind of colors and Mm -hmm. i i ate that shit up yeah for sure can we talk about the uh the actual prop of the
3: babadook book because i love that prop like Mm -hmm. the actual scene where she opens it up later
4: and when it's been put back on the doorstep after she cut it up
3: yeah and and it shows like the the extra pop-ups of her like going crazy and choking the dog and slitting her own throat with the red i love that i was gonna
2: say i gotta take back what i just said five seconds ago which is that i'm actually glad it wasn't strictly black and white because the blood red of the book uh contrasted (laughs) against everything looked great and if they did some kind of like schindler's list where it was literally just black and white red that would have been a little tacky but (laughs) i love the way that that stood out against the very drab color palette
3: was anyone else like bothered that the that the end of the book didn't rhyme for the rest of the book (laughs) I was just kind of like annoyed by that shit. I don't. I don't know. I was like, I wish, wish they come up with something a little more clever with that. But yeah. well, I guess Doctor Seuss is joining us for tonight. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> yeah.
4: It's like you're gonna I, wish you were dead. I, I, I kind of honestly, I kind of took that more as it was a, a look inside of her mental state at the time, where there's, she was just a mess to begin there's with. There's nothing
2: more terrifying than a bad uh, poetic uh, poem scheme. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> yep, that's true. And and when that book was put back uh, at her door and the more pages she continued to go through, the more things were popping up that were never there. It's just again feeds on that yep. metaphoric, like none of that was ever part of the book, and so yep. it's just showing you that everything that's happening is all in her head. So God damn it, I love this movie. I wanna I wanna go watch it again.
1: Can we it is on Netflix, so you can watch it anytime you want there you uh, go. for the next month or two. <laughs> yeah.
4: Going to. Can so, you record Netflix?
1: No. <laughs> but you can watch it anytime. I'm so. going to record
4: it on my phone while watching it.
2: You can't do that either. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's, not, that's moving on. That's called piracy, Kenny. I'm not going to distribute it. Just for and my own good when It's taken off at, on Netflix. Here at <laughs> Film Tank, we do not indulge or encourage or condone any such acts. <laughs> Very good. Thank you for having that Public service
1: announcement, there, Nick. That was very much necessary. Anytime,
2: but crack cocaine is okay by us.
1: <laughs> okay, I like I, I like how for one episode we got away from all the like the bad words like semen and everything like that. And we now, already talked about dildos and masturbation and well, like, I, that that at least tied into the movie we're yeah. talking about. Because Our
4: bodily fluids. <laughs> is this true? is this true. This is
1: true. Getting back on the rails here, um, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, other things to talk about about this movie that we haven't already touched on. Does anybody have anything more to say? And you, you were the one who brought it to the table, and I feel like you've said the least out of the three Your of us. Your comment
3: on uh, Nick about the sound design of this film, how it like employs um, silence to a great effect. I think that that is very telling of just the nature of the presence, like the role of sound in a in a horror film whereas like with It Follows like I, I all I did was one, one of the things I raved about was how great that soundtrack was and how it worked to actually establish the mood you can do the exact same thing with silence as well with yeah. the absolute absence of sounds like it's such a principle you can you can do more with less. And yeah, I no, think that's this, what this movie really
2: did. This film, uh, the sound design reminded me most of David Lynch's Eraserhead—not the industrial part of it, but the the way that sounds would either carry over too far into the next scene or not far enough to when a scene would end. I mean, there's some great uh, scene transition that I want to say like. Uh, Alex, you mentioned it earlier when some of those transitions from day to night mm-hmm. are fantastic and that also has to do with the sound because like sound would almost like drop out and then just when you think that there should be sound when the, the morning starts there isn't and what I loved about both the, the audio and the visual of those transitions was that was basically her state of mind, which is like her days were starting to just run together, and she couldn't like just wake up the next day and start that day. Like It just all started to bleed together, so I, I really appreciated that aspect.
4: On the audio side of things, there was a scene where she was in bed, and uh, I, I can't necessarily recall – there were many – Points where the, the lights would flicker yeah. or kind of pop. I mean, or the electricity would crack. I don't know if that was kind of like the, the start of of her Duke scenes, if you will. But um, one, one audio clip that really stands out to me was all of a sudden there was like an off-mic scream. There's something in the house. Like it was really muffled, but it was very effective yes. and fucking just crazy
2: creepy yes that's when the boy is screaming i believe but it's almost like she hasn't fully woken up yet so it's almost like she's hearing it both in her dream and yet also not fully in real life yet so i i completely there are so many of
4: those dream sequences where you can hear the kid talking to her trying to wake her up or or saying something while she's sleeping and the the audio was just brilliant yeah because
2: it goes far beyond the very uh the the kind of stuff we already hear where you just hear like echo like mom, 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 mom. you know like i just kind of like the, the very industry-wide standard for like what we think of when we think of uh, dream sequences and dream editing so what i love is that this kind of came up with something else that we haven't really seen before and therefore that's what made it feel like very dreamlike because it doesn't yeah. feel like something we've seen before another thing i was going to say is i also love when it comes to the sound design that uh, they kind of held a lot of their cards close to their chest when it came to choosing certain things like the uh, like the dog barking um, when she was laying in bed, you know, like because she hears a little noise and all of a sudden the dog just barks like very loud. And, and it was kind of like one of those things where like you would have thought they would have did that much sooner just because that's like a great ace of a hole. But like every basically noise that startled her was kind of different each time, so that way it wasn't getting like too mon- monotonous or anything like that. Yeah,
4: the, the transitions between her regular moments and her Duke moments, if you will, which almost, at a certain points, made me start thinking if maybe it's, it's almost like a split personality thing, which would- they transition much better than... The only other movie I can think of that I enjoyed transitions of personality better were Me, Myself and
2: Irene. The, the Baba Duke really is this. <laughs> That's <woman's> reaching. It's <laughs> different the, movie right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but I, I'm going to bring up a different movie. But th- I kind of feel like this is the horror version of that. The Baba Duke really is this woman's Tower Durden, which is uh, another personality that she's almost created because she saw it somewhere else. Which in this case is her child's storybook, and it's able to let her live out her kind of biggest desires, which unfortunately in this case is wanting to kill, kill, our, her, kill her son. When well, we're talking about things uh,
1: and I feel like the start of where things start to go downhill for her is a scene that I feel like can be either taken literally or could be taken as um, metaphorically, Metaphorically, which is the scene with the, the roaches behind the refrigerator, mm. which we get the assumption that when the Child Predictive Services come for the first time that they look at the wall where she has just said she's just patched and they're like, there's nothing there where there's, they, they can't believe here. I feel like at the same time, I, I'm kind of torn between whether that was actually happening or not, because they don't live in the most perfect home either like that. But I feel like that's the start where you, you you, start to not be sure of what her character is saying where you have to start doubting where before we have no reason to doubt anything she said, where she right. hasn't given us anything, where at that point you have to start doubting what the, the, the material you're getting from the main character in the story.
3: I am a big fan of the theory that it is all in her head, but there are enough moments in this film that I can't easily reconcile underneath that theory. Like one of my favorite moments when like it's towards the end and the kid is just like, you can't get rid of the Babadook. And apparently it's in vogue now to have a scene where a child is just like supernaturally like pulled up of a staircase, like the trailer for the new poltergeist or whatever. And, the,
1: the, the, this was way cooler than that yeah. poltergeist thing. Yeah, yeah, right. it was. Like, this gave me chills. Yeah, and I
3: was just yeah. like,
2: the poltergeist how? thing just pissed me off. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Everything about that movie pisses you off, apparently. Um, but I thought that was a really cool scene. I was just like, I can't really explain that under
2: any type of like earthly like circumstance. Like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> The, the cockroach thing though I, I feel like that's also another like and that's kind of what I mean by I feel like sometimes the metaphors are too blunt but if you look at that as a metaphor I mean that really is because of the havoc she is wreaking on uh, her son when, when you look at what a, uh, a house and a foundation represents it's always because like you know it's the foundation for the family and you know a house is a home type mentality so for her to obviously peel away at a hole and for cockroaches to come out I mean that's just metaphorically very blunt but as far as like how the whole because of her behavior the whole foundation of this home that she's trying to make for her and her son is going to crumble and that there is a lot of stuff behind the walls that are like waiting to just rampage out
4: maybe it was just me but i there at first i didn't like this until i started kind of getting an idea and a feel for what this movie was doing for me uh, but there were many times where I was kind of confused as to whether, and it was especially that scene with the child protective services where she had just started taking medication that the doctor gave her. And I, I, I
1: couldn't, you mean, you mean Samuel started taking the medication?
4: Y- yeah. But didn't she start taking something too, or was it just simply for him?
2: No, it was all for I thought him. She, yeah, she, sure, was okay. just she wanted him stuff. to go to sleep so
4: she yes. could get sleep. Yeah. Though. Um, but anyway, the, nonetheless because she was so strung out from not sleeping like i found it hard to To uh, distinguish the scenes where she was sleeping and maybe dreaming what was going on as opposed to what was really happening and then as I started to realize all the metaphorical stuff uh, maybe it was all just going on while she was awake and she was just hallucinating or it was I don't know at first I didn't like I I didn't like the fact that I was confused about it but then I started to really enjoy it and looking back at it now I love that they did it that way
2: and that's kind of that's what her mindset is which is I'm sure there are moments and like if we're just taking this as face value but there are moments where she would look at her son, and then, like, if, if, if like when she woke up and she saw her son, like, standing in the corner, kind of cowering in fear, that's the kind of moment where, like, almost like a dissociative identity uh, disorder, where you would look at that situation, and you would almost think, like, oh, my God, who did this to you? Because she would never be able to reconcile with the fact that it's her doing it, and that's, mm-hmm. of course, why she creates something like the Babadook, or uh, not creates it, but obviously leans on it uh, as far as uh, in her psychological mind.
1: We've talked about before about different ways to watch movies, almost like watching Memento from start to finish with like watching it from the beginning actually to the end. And can, can you watch it different ways? Do you think if you watched this film and thought of everything happening literally, which I'm sure some people have done, do you think this would still be a good film or not so much?
3: Like there's literally a, a monster named the Baba Babadook.
2: No, because then it's besides the fact that it betrays any thematic resonance whatsoever. It, I, it doesn't make sense because okay. of the fact that I don't even think that you should take all of this as a dream either. Like I do think that there is a wonderful tension to the idea that some of this is real, some of this isn't. It's up for you to figure out what is what.
3: The glass and the soup. Right. That was really so that's
2: why if you go too far into either, uh, it, it, just, it, it all falls apart. The fact that you asked that
4: Again, I joked about it earlier. My wife was watching this loosely Mm -hmm. with me while she was doing other things. She did not engage in it fully, and therefore she did did take it all very literally. And at the end, she went and just looked on Wikipedia, the meaning behind the movie, which I, I don't know. I didn't look for myself, so I don't know what it says, but... Apparently, whoever did the Wikipedia entry was very blunt and literal about it as well, and she simply just said, well, I was fucking stupid. So no, if you took this very literally, no, it would not be a good movie. But once you start peeling away the layers and start actually thinking about it, this was a great movie. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And there, there's also, if you take it literally, then what is this movie really doing psychologically that no horror movie has already done? Right. You know, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that this movie itself is obviously some kind of... Whoa! This is a new chapter in modern day horror, or anything like that. No, but it, it in no way. If this movie was completely literal, it's just your very. Uh, I would say, above average, but monster flick that just has no real place in uh, in the horror landscape. Well,
4: it followed the same steps and the same formula and the same blueprints as a lot of movies, but it just wasn't lazy about it. It didn't go after cheap scares. It yeah. didn't, it, yeah, it didn't well, go it, on the cliches. And when it right. did go on the cliches, it was smart about it. And is this
2: movie scary if it's completely literal? I, I'd say no. Because if you're not thinking of the ramifications of, as to why this is happening and, uh, you know, where this is stemming from, and therefore we get into metaphors or whether it's dreams or not, then that's when the actual terrifying, uh, you know, complications come into play.
1: Well, and that's, I, I guess, why I brought up the kind of literal and uh, metaphorical sort of separation in this film is a film I brought up to you, Nick, that I not necessarily all the way compare this to, but I, I had the same feeling. Maybe it's because of the cinematography. It's some of the ways things happen in the film, but a film like Stoker, yep. which I feel like looks somewhat similar to this film. It kind of has that drawn out kind of, kind of look in some scenes. Definitely. But I feel like if you take that movie 100% literally, you're not going to like
2: it. So. Well, that's funny because I actually kind of do it. Actually, that's kind of—I mean, not, we're going to obviously get off to a side conversation. But what I love about that movie is that it is so fucked up that when <laughs> I take it literally, it still feels like a dream, and therefore that's why I like it. Okay. Um, but this is a lot more as far as like, wow, did, could did that really happen? Because these are actual monsters, and uh, you know, and not only that, but there are scenes of her popping pills and that kind of thing. Whereas Stoker, technically, there's no real moment of like. Her like waking up from a dream, or her uh, popping pills, or, or even the fact that, that she has any kind of anything wrong with her like uh, what I want to say lucidity of her mind. Or There's something no like
3: extraordinary that. supernatural malice,
2: right? So I, I would say they're they're different in that respect, but I can understand as far as like why the the gothic and macabre uh, like atmosphere um, definitely uh, complement each other very well.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, anything else you guys want to say before we go to ratings?
2: No, I I, one more one more
4: more thing about the editing uh, that stuck with me. It's the same thing that stuck with me about a movie that I saw years ago, and the editing in that movie stuck with me the same way all these years later. Was Requiem for a Dream? Yeah, all those kind of crazy fast quick cuts yeah smash cuts, yeah. which it, it did a lot especially early on in this movie did a lot of in the beginning and yeah
2: the more you say that the more especially i would say the alan burston sequences in that movie where um the, the one who pops the pills the entire mm-hmm. movie um the editing in that entire finale of the Record for a dream is actually very much like this movie stretched out across a hundred minutes
4: mm-hmm. but yeah i just want to say
1: that i forgot to talk about that with the editing yeah. earlier. Good so. stuff. All right, Nick, let's start with
2: you and uh, your rating, which I assume will be pretty good. It is. I give this film 4 Baba Ducks <laughs> out of 5 Baba Ducks. <laughs> and um yeah, like obviously like fucking Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> yeah. I there's not much I can say obviously that I haven't already said. I'll say this much though, so. for someone who doesn't watch a lot of horror movies, just take this for what it's worth. This is honestly the most terrifying movie I've seen in at least a decade, uh, just on a visceral sense, and especially once you start to unpack uh, kind of the layers of it and whatnot. And I just, I had a lot of fun with this, which I can't really say with a lot of horror movies that aren't like horror comedies. And when I say fun, I don't mean like, like I'm sitting there giggling, like oh, what a what a little uh, scamp! Wouldn't it be uh, funny
1: if there was like a Benny Hill chasing with the Bob yeah. Duke and the kid or something? <laughs> no, yeah, it's not that kind of fun, but it's kind of
2: like because I'm such a. <laughs> it's actually one of the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm uh, such a pussy when it comes to horror films, like I don't like to watch them. And when I watched this, I, this is a testament to how good this movie is, which is that I was like wanting to watch every like i couldn't take my eyes off of it which is obviously the opposite reaction that i have to most horror films because i'm normally like oh fuck turn this off because <laughs> i'm both not liking this and it's just scaring the shit out of me you know like i wanted to be scared by this movie and i was throughout the entire uh film so because of that i have to give it uh for right now four out of five but the more i think about it and this entire conversation i mean i'm it's slowly creeping up there as to, i'm liking it more and more so i highly recommend it to fans of any genre
1: very good. All right, Tyson, uh, you're the one who brought this uh, film to the table. So I'm hoping you will have a, a good score for us. Is it three and a half out of five? Actually is three and a half ah. out of
3: five. You totally guessed it. Oh man, you're like the the score whisperer. Um, three and now, a half
2: what? Stars or Bubba
3: <laughs> I give it
2: three and a half
3: Bubba Dukes. It's out funny because yeah. Bubba I think we've
1: done like fourteen or fifteen movies now and you've actually given that scores so like thirteen out of the fifteen, so very good. Really? I'm just yeah, kidding. Oh god. But but actually you have so. yeah. God damn That's it. That's what oh, I good. pointed
2: out the last time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. Went over his head like Drax. <laughs> Shut
3: the fuck up. <laughs> anyway. I like the Babadook. <laughs> I, uh, I really enjoyed this film. I'm glad they were able to talk about this film. And just coming away from this, this conversation, I have
4: a greater appreciation of it. So, yeah. Well, quick and to the point. Um, I, I was going to give it four Babadooks, but uh, oh, well, now, fine, I, after talking about this, I like it even more. I'm going to give it four and a half. Ooh. B- b- Dukes? Why did they say it like that in the movie? B- Dukes. I think that was just the bab- one time. Bab- b- b- bab- Babadooks? The
1: only time Bye. it came out like that was when the, the kid said it, and I think that kind of made sense. But
2: Yeah, like you can't read because he's a kid. <laughs> you can't read for shit. You're a uh, racist, Nick. <laughs> Australian, Australian kids racist? can't read. Because he's a kid. Six That's years be... old, He should be able to read a children's book. Hey, man, I've met a lot of adults at the library that can't read. <laughs> just
1: saying. All those masturbating people at the, uh, at the library,: no, they
2: could read because they have to sign into their porn accounts. It's the people that can't even log on to the computers that can't read.
4: Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. so four and a half Babadooks, Um and I again, I, I don't think I've said a bad thing about this movie uh, other, other than the Baba Dukes sound effect, which I actually grew to kind of enjoy and appreciate. Um, but yeah, when, when Halloween rolls around. I'm going to be talking about this again in my week in review. (laughs) Very
1: good. But, uh, yeah, strongly recommend it. So I will give this... uh, I wasn't going to, but I'm going to give this three and a half Dukes out of five. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Whatever. However you guys want to say it. Out of five. Because I think this film does deserve to be on our hit list because there's a lot about the... Kenny can't control himself over there. I think the Duke has got him. I seriously... (laughs) Kenny's having like a laughing uh, fit. He so looks boy, like the movie. little kid
2: in the backseat of the car just gleefully like having a seizure <laughs> in the movie. Remember that yeah, scene?
4: That was actually a really scary scene. Now, yeah. I, I should have touched on this earlier, I guess. I,
1: I, I think, for me, and I think we're going to see that kid at some point when he's a little older. I think he was actually a really good child actor. Agreed. Um, but I, I think this film deserves to be on our hit list. And I was only going to give it three, but the way you've been talking about it, the more I've been thinking about this film, I'm going to give it the extra half (laughs) the I guess, because um, there are so many things to enjoy about this film as both a psychological, almost even a thriller as also a horror film. It works on so many different levels and there are so many things that aren't just the actual story, but are the physical elements of this film, sound design, editing, cinematography that are all done so well. And for this to be a first film for Jennifer Kent, which that was another thing I was going to bring up that we didn't really talk about, that this film was made by a female, which yes. I feel like is a very um, awesome... Don't tell Marvel. <laughs> 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 well, are you saying that Marvel isn't perfect? No, they just don't think
2: they exist, apparently. Yeah, well... I... <laughs> Um, well, they zing. fired the only one they had. Oh, man. Yeah, well, that's. Or no, was that Marvel or was that DC? Just so I have it on the record. It doesn't really matter. They're yeah. both. Matter. They're, all, they're, they're all both all egregious yes. in that way. But, but that is a good point as far as, like, we somehow have this stigma about female directors and we shouldn't. And this is a just a wonderful example. as yeah. to, like, this is scarier than most films that have come out in the past 10 years. And what we would consider, like, it would stereotypically, would, you know. I, I'm trying not to use sexist language to come off as sexist myself, but to speak for the culture of the whole. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have thought that this came from a woman because we don't give them the chance. So right. this just shows what happens when... And of course, this was Australia. This wasn't even us, right. of course.
4: I mean,
1: you look at mainstream, and this is <laughs> kind of... Never fly in LA. No. Never. This is kind of getting off topic, and maybe we can kind of end the Babadook, because it does go on the hit list, and I give it a three, out of five, three and a half out of five. I, I was a fan, and I would like to watch it again at some point, but I guess this is something that we hadn't really talked about, you know, mentioning, but it was very interesting to me that there aren't really that many female directors of prominence. The only one I can really think of that has made films that are somewhat well known is Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Um do, do we see this as a possible, you know, possible trend coming forward of more female directors and I hope so. I, I, I feel well, like, yeah, I mean
2: it's a difference between hoping for it and actually thinking it will happen. Yeah. But but I, I
1: feel like she is like a, a like through and through filmmaker where she writes the material, she's the director. Uh, yeah. And and I, I feel like she's brought something into this genre that some other male directors I'm not saying it's female or male or whatever, but I feel like she brought almost like a different eye to the to the yep. genre and it, it was it was refreshing for me. I do want to point, just
2: throw out, there are quite a few besides Catherine Bigelow, yeah. as far as I don't think get recognized enough, like yeah. um, Sophia Coppola. Yeah. Uh, she's made quite a few notable, yeah. notable films that a lot of people like, and myself included. I really like Lost in Translation. Bling Ring was your favorite? sorry, not Translation.
1: Bling Ring, though, that was your favorite, right? I, I didn't love it, but... No, um, was, I, it was not good. No.
2: Um, and uh, Lisa Chodolenko, and um, quite a few other people. The The woman who just made Enough Time, not Enough Time, uh, Enough Said, there are more than just Catherine Bigelow. Fortunately she just makes the I would think what we take we think of as typically masculine films and therefore that's why they get selected in like the Oscar ceremony because mm-hmm. they're about war and they're about uh, well pretty much that's all she doing <laughs> nowadays but
1: um, hey, she did direct um, the surfing movie uh, Point Break. Point, point Break. Yeah, yeah, she did do that. And,
2: but I'm just saying, we 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 look away from like the people who make even like remotely, I would just say, uh, feminine movies like Clueless or uh, you know, like Amy Heckerley doing Fast Times at Ridgemont High or that kind of stuff. So there there are quite a few, f- but not no. I mean, there's nowhere compared to. There's a huge disparity between male versus female, and I don't think that this is in any way going to be, uh, you know, Jennifer Kent directing this. Completely proves that it's ridiculous and idiotic that we, there is a disparity. However, we have once I just I mean I just said it five seconds ago or whatever that this is an Australian film and you know in U.S. that's not how we do things here and unfortunately that's not what somehow Marvel and like these kind of big companies uh, that are running the show think that somehow. The sex of a director would actually impact sales, you know, of tickets. When it when it wouldn't, so uh, something does have to change. But this movie, and I don't think in any way will have any bearing on that. It'll be more like people like Catherine Bigelow or just people like uh, Sophia Coppola that just start to. If anything, I think actually. I'm just going to bring this back to a different medium, but uh, Lena Dunham on TV, uh, even Amy Schumer, what she's doing on Comedy Central, they get a lot of buzz because of what they're doing on television because they can kind of do different things each week. And they're talking about a lot of female-oriented subjects, and I feel like they're getting so much buzz because they're allowed to be female directors and not just directors that happen to be female. Because I think, like, example, uh, Michelle McLaren, she was just on the Wonder Woman project before uh, she quit or – Slash got fired. It was Mm -hmm. kind of of a parting of both ways. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing where, like, you can't bring your sensibilities. You have to, if you're going to be a female and you're going to go direct one of these huge a huge budget uh, studio film, then you still have to fill the man's shoes instead of what we're allowing, I think, women to do on television, like Shonda Rhimes has taken over ABC Thursday night. So it's kind of funny because, not to get off topic, obviously, what you were talking about, but there has been a huge trend in television, but we have not seen that happen yet in film. And I think if anything's going to impact it, it's going to be some kind of jump from television to film and not from uh, other any movies because we, we're just not letting them come on board so right
1: very good yeah i i'm i'm hopeful for the future because i feel like um i, I wouldn't say they do better work than males because i i don't think that that is necessarily always the case but yeah. at the same time i feel like women bring a different eye to films than men do and i and i enjoy right. films that they make
2: Agreed, and that's like that's what we should all, I would think, want out of like whether you're Joe Schmo at the movie theater or you're the hardcore cinephile. Like, If you want to watch the same movie over and over again, then I guess good for you. But if you don't, then the next logical step that should have been taken years ago is to let more women direct uh, movies with big budgets because we'll absolutely, of course, let them direct whatever independent movie they want to. But And if they flop,
3: then not making a moratorium on yes. – on, an artificial moratorium simply for the fact that this one did not work because
2: that's the other thing is, like, tucson is hitting on something there and that when a lot of times when they step into something like if they were to step into a huge project for like marvel or for warner brothers or whatever is that then there will be this pressure that if this fails for any reason it's your fault it's your fault and not only that but it's your sex's fault so therefore they're gonna probably maybe if they're the type of person to do that, but they're going to compromise in this way or in that way. And so we might not get the, you know, the, the woman directed film. You're you're going to get a Kenneth Branagh directed film. Yeah. Like, it'll just be a neutered. Anybody could have directed that. And so therefore, once again, the studios will be told, well, if anybody could direct that, then we will just pay this man or, you know, whatever. So, I, I I hope it does follow on the way that T V seems to be going, which is very hands on creatively uh being run by a lot of women and doing a great job and uh, so hopefully that that'll make the but until one of the, the big movie studios finally sets aside their uh chauvinism, uh we won't see that for a little I think while.
4: I like a lot of things in, in society nowadays, politically, socially. There's trends of all sorts of things that try to change things that have always been a certain way and I think as time goes on, especially if more of these start popping up, or you know, movies that are successful directed by women. Mm-hmm. I mean, a totally different note. Uh, SNL has drastically made an effort in the last ten years to to start going more towards the, the women cast and things like that, and stuff like that. I think will help spearhead that in in you know the film industry.
3: For like, sure. On the, the topic of female directors and female-led like films and Marvel and DC, I was actually just uh, reading an article on Tor.com about this email that's been circulating. You know, while th- we
2: were podcasting? No, not while you were <laughs> podcasting,
3: before we even started podcasting. Do you even pay attention to when we speak? <laughs> yes, I do. I do pay attention to you. Um <laughs> Don't Shh. get into this while the mic okay. is on. Anyways, you guys are like okay. the odd couple. It's yeah, amazing. Seriously. Yeah. Um, there was a, there was an yeah. Oh <laughs> there was an email circulating uh between the Marvel CEO and like some other film exec, where they listed off all the films that are the reasons why they haven't done a, a Black Widow movie, and so they named off Elektra, they named off Catwoman,
1: they named off Tomb
2: other Raider, probably
1: no, not Tomb Raider. Tomb Those Raider are kind were... of
2: financially successful at least, but yeah. I mean, there's a reason why there was a sequel. But the, the whole... I know, I
1: know, but but that that's a female-led superhero film for the but most part. But he's saying
2: that's why they there wasn't a Black Widow movie. They, they
3: say it, it comes all the way down to the to the hard. My even super
2: ex girlfriend with Uba Thurman. They actually didn't
3: mention that one. Oh
2: man, they should have because that's not a good movie. Yeah, I know <laughs>
3: it's not a good movie. But the argument that was pressed in that article was that if you're just judging it on a, a basis of um, of dollars, then there's other female-led films that are based off of like original like source material, like uh, Hunger Games, or even like original like superhero esque films, like your favorite film, Nick Lucy. Which yeah, also' it's a great movie yeah, is like which grosss a lot, so well, I
2: mean look at the most popular uh well, maybe not the most, but obviously it can be debatable, but look at the most popular both cinematic franchise that's not Marvel. And literary franchise in the past fifteen years it's Harry Potter, and that was written by a woman mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like we you know it's we have no problem obviously letting them write these source materials, but then uh once it comes to like handling the studio executives and all that th- then somehow we draw these arbitrary lines.
1: I feel like it kind of goes both ways though when you talk about that because a lot of people. Gave the the woman who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey shit for being a horrible writer and having this horrible style. Where I feel like if like you had, had a man written something like that, it would not have been as harsh against her for being a poor literary writer.
2: Oh no, I think it actually would have. I mean, I think it was
1: fan fiction that was then turned into
3: a.
2: I mean, it, okay, I agree with you as far as it was panned, and and yes, I don't think women are somehow above critique or anything like mm-hmm. that. But I do think as far as what Fifty Shades is trying to do, like that's a whole other thing and kind of litany of misogyny and uh, misandry even. I mean, like, it's just a nobody wins in that scenario. <laughs> and if a man wrote it, just like a man wrote Age of Ultron, and we're now seeing this backlash of how somehow, apparently, according to crazy Twitter people, that Joss Whedon is a sexist asshole and all that kind of thing. I also heard he was Where a racist. If, if we had I a, didn't
3: pick up on that. What? Some people are saying that he's a racist, too. Really?
2: I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of blindingly white. Uh, the cast, I, I guess. I know. I'm, I agree. Like, I don't think he is a racist right. or anything like that. And what these people don't realize is that Joss Whedon, or even if a woman stepped into that role of directing, like they don't have as much creative input when you are making films that are that big. So I, yeah, it's it's just kind of like you said. Like you said, it is kind of fifty fifty as far as give and take, whether it's chewy lies at the fault of you know who. But unfortunately. If a woman does step into the role, the studios will be much quicker to blame it on them than they mm-hmm. will if a man is in that role. And that's what's the most upsetting thing is because that's the only reason why we haven't made as much progress as we have in that department.
4: Very good. I, I, sorry I, yeah. I, I was just say, I, I still stand by if if this topic gets enough momentum, then like other social and political changes that have been made over time, something will happen about it, especially if enough heat gets put to their...
1: I, I kind I mean, of agree, dude, and I kind of disagree. Go back 20
4: years, gay marriage, legalizing pot, African-American president. Like, none of this... should have happened. Right. None of it should... <laughs> well, no. According to 20 years ago... <laughs> No, it's funny because it's fucking true. Like, 20 years ago, <laughs> Wait, society... Hold on,
2: what's true? Because I was no, making a joke. according... No. <laughs> just want to clear that according up. According
4: to society, <laughs> what you just joked about was fucking true. And yes. that's why those things never happened back then. Right. I mean, go back even further, segregation. Like, but as time goes on, as, as,
2: right. as, as issues get pushed... I agree Things that with enough time. The problem is how much time is enough time and it shouldn't be as much as it will probably the Time be. is now. Yeah, exactly. And there
4: is still Well, a- we're fucking leading the charge right now with the yeah, podcast is what we're doing. Yeah. As we've
1: had uh, episodes with all males on all of our episodes, that's we're leading the charge. Good. <laughs> yeah, we are.
2: We are literally your all-stop authority uh podcast when it comes to the female experience. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Film Tech. <laughs> The F in Film Tank actually stands for feminine, just one of the Oh, okay.
1: It, it, is, it does have meaning to it very yep. good. The I
2: and the L and the M don't stand for anything, but we're with you, ladies.
1: We'll work on that. Very good. All right, well, I guess this would be a good time to bring this episode of Film Tank to a close. Uh, on next week's episode, we're going to be doing another classic film. Uh, as we're all about to- women. That's all we're talking about next week. Oh, yeah. Week. All, all about all women. women films. We're going to do the first Wives Club. Next week, we're not. What? You've ever seen the first Wives Club? No, it's uh it's an interesting movie. <laughs> yeah. um, but we're going to be doing a an actual classic a comedy film, that Stepford Wives. Also, not a great movie. Um, but if you want to see the Stepford Wives, I, I wouldn't say don't. But uh, it's not a great movie. Anchorman. I'll uh, finally actually say what we actually are <laughs> seeing. Uh, we're going to be doing Holy a- shit!
4: Which actually. Transitions perfectly from what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, because there there Jeez. is kind of a feminism. Really? Right, uh, plot God line damn it! it. See, we're fucking leading the charge here. Uh, um, <laughs> we're gonna do uh, an episode on Anchorman next week. So if you have thoughts on that, obviously uh, a lot of people have had a chance to see it and have seen it uh, over time. As it's been been ten years now since that came out, which is crazy. Um, send us uh, your review on it or your thoughts on it to filmtankshow at gmail dot com. You could also. Send us a message on either Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Let us know uh, how you feel about Anchorman or about any film we've talked about in the past. Uh, you can also uh, find us on FilmTankShow.com or in iTunes or Stitcher at film Tank Show. So we'll catch up with you that next week. Uh, but for this episode, Toussaint Egan, Nick Cheney, Kenny Marcellus, myself, Alex Diegman, thank you for listening, and we will catch up with you next time.